And now, for the first time in color, the 38th Academy Award. And welcome back to The Snub Club. You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time. The podcast with the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar. Hello, and welcome back to the Snow Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent. Funny movie this week. Okay. Um, how do I want to do this? <laughs> I'm trying to think what the... Okay, I was going to do Fade In on a Girl with a Hunger for Fame. I was going to do the whole Smash intro, because the song is Let Me Be Your Star. But I don't want to do it. So, <laughs> Sorry. Just, just imagine that I did. Okay. I'm Caleb, one of many interchangeable white men. That could call that, that that could be about um, the vast majority of the movies we watched. Yeah, but I especially felt it with this one. <laughs> All right, so we are at. Actually, I don't have the Academy Awards open. Now, which Academy Awards is this? Uh, the forty first Academy Award. I forgot to open that. I can't believe it. I had the star open, but whatever. Okay, we're at the forty first Academy Awards. There was a film with twelve nominations called Oliver, which. I feel like, before I say what it wins, I think it's kind of funny this movie has the reputation of being the film that beat 2001, but, like, if it had 12 nominations and 2001 had four, I think it's pretty clear, like, going into the ceremony, who was, like, I don't think Oliver was the underdog here if it had 12 nominations. It was film school propaganda, and I didn't like it. Yeah. I, I should look at the best picture because I feel like even um it's a line I feel like the line winter probably was second place. Anyway, um, twelve nominations. Oliver wins six. Best picture, of course. Best director for Carol Reed. Best adapted score. Best sound and best art direction. Then a movie called Funny Girl, um, has eight nominations. It wins one in a tie. Which if it hadn't tied, we'd be talking about that instead of this. But of course. A famously tied an actress and won Barbara Streisand in the Oscar. Then with seven nominations was Lion Winter, which won three. One of those wins was the tie, of course, with an actress, with Catherine Hepburn won for Lion Winter. Then adapted screenplay and best original score for John Barry. And then there was a film with seven nominations and no wins. And I would argue maybe the least amount of legacy of any movie we've covered on the show, <laughs> Star. Less than Pepe? I know, because mm. Pepe, Pepe is a historic document of how content flaws fell apart after around the world they did. This is a Julie Andrews and Robert Wise movies, both of who had hits before and after this, that is a movie that does not exist to a vast majority of everyone. <laughs> I think it's more interesting that this movie has no legacy. That's but, fair. That is fair. Yeah. All right. Sarah, what was Star nominated for? Too much. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> um, all right. Best Supporting Actor for Daniel Massey, who lost to Jack Albertson for The Subject Was Roses. Best Art Direction for Boris Levin, Walter M. Scott, and Howard Bristol. 
They lost to John Box, Terrence Marsh, Vernon Dixon, and Ken, Ken Muggleston for Oliver. Uh, Levin was nominated for nominated seven more times, won one for West Side Story in 1961. Scott was nominated 14 more times and won six. Bristol was nominated eight more times. Best Cinematography for Ernest Laszlo, who lost to Pesquilo DeSantis for Romeo and Juliet. Uh, he was nominated six more times and won one for Ship of Fools in 1966. Best Costume Design for Donald Brooks, who lost to Danilo Donati for Romeo and Juliet. Uh, he was nominated two more times. Best Score of a Musical Picture, Original or Adaptation for Lenny Hayton, uh, who lost to Johnny Green for Oliver. Uh, he was nominated three more times and won two. Um, best Song. Uh, original for the picture, Jimmy Van Heusen and Sammy Kane. They lost to Michelle Legrand and Alan and Marilyn Bergman for the Thomas Crown Affair. And Heusen was nominated nine more times and won four. Khan was nominated 21 more times and won four. And best sound for the 20th Lame, century. Lame, by Fox. the way. They should have given it to the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang song. Okay, and song best sound for the 20th Century Fox <laughs> Studio Sound Department, and they lost to the Shepherdton Studio Sound Department for Oliver. I will say, I looked into this. The head of the sound department could have been James Cochran, who we have had on the podcast before, but I could find no sources on it. So there's no, there's nothing more to be said. Mm. All right, Caleb, do you want to do historic context, or should I talk about the ceremony? Go ahead and talk about the ceremony. All right. Well, famously, of course, we, we I kind of alluded to this already. We'll just get this out of the way. Stanley Kubrick wins his only Oscar in the ceremony at special effects for 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, Oliver is the only Best Picture winner to have a G rating ever. It's the last British film to win Best Picture until 1981 with Chariots of Fire and the last musical, of course, to win until Chicago in 2002. Uh, we already mentioned the tie, but the tie um, leads to Catherine Hepburn becoming the second actress and third performer to win an acting Oscar two years in a row. But more importantly, it makes her the first person ever to win three acting Oscars in lead categories. Can you guys remember the other two? They happened somewhat recently. Daniel Day-Lewis and Marilyn, Meryl, Meryl Streep. No, not Meryl Streep. Daniel Day-Lewis is it? It is another woman. Caleb, can you guess the other one? Crash. What? Was no, it not Meryl um, Streep? No, it's not Meryl. I have no clue. It, um, so Meryl Streep has three Oscars, I believe, but one of them's in supporting. Yeah. I'm saying they all have to be lead Oscars. And that goes to Frances McDormand, where we all collectively decided to forget she won for three billboards because the Nomadland wind is better. And of course, Fargo, she won for as well. But yes, she has uh, three as well. The, lead. I couldn't think of that one because I always attribute one of those wins to Fern. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> great, great. I'm glad. <laughs> I feel like that is a moment people should talk about. And I get that there's something else in that ceremony that was way more overshadowing. But Prince McDormand going like, I'm Francis, was pretty intense. <laughs> um, all right, I got a couple other interesting things here. Cliff Robertson got controversy when he won Best Actor for Charlie because the movie had a mixed to negative reaction from critics and audiences. And there were multiple reports at the time, including Time Magazine, talking about concerned over award campaign. Now, we treat it as a fact of life that the best performance doesn't win the Oscar. But back then, it was still being controversial that these people were campaigning. 
I find that very interesting, knowing what type of movie Charlie is. Yeah. Especially because we just had Brendan Fraser win for The Whale. It just feels like, I, I don't know, I'm, it's fascinating to me that people found that kind of stuff offensive even back then. Yeah. Um, the only instance to date in history of the Academy taking back an Oscar happens here. So there was precedent if they were to take it away from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But they thankfully decided not to, and they just banned him for a title, which is so funny to talk about. If he would have <laughs> said, I'll give my Oscar back, they would have been like, any Oscars that he wins in the future, he must give back. Like, they would have gone that extra mile. Do you guys, do what I think about also, by the way, just side note, I think about how Tom Cruise made a big deal out of returning his Golden Globes. <laughs> and then he immediately got nominated. Top Gun Maverick got nominated. He's like, I, I'm not going. I just think it was such a dumb like gesture initially, but then also like the fact that he backed up is like, yeah, Michael. <laughs> it was pretty funny too. Anyway, um, they revoked Young Americans won Best Documentary Feature. However, in the following in May of uh 1969, which was a month after the ceremony, I was just double checking, uh, it was discovered that it actually premiered in like general audiences in 1967. Ergo, it should never even been nominated. So they, they they pulled out the day, the votes, which I guess they have in the back somewhere, and they gave it to the first one up, which was Journey into Self. I mean, that's really interesting. Um, but I think this is the other dumb fact on here is that there was a controversy that there was a sketch on the Tonight Show where Johnny Carson announced the winner of Best Picture and Best Supporting Actor, and his predictions ended up being right. It was like, oh, they leaked it, and it was like, well, I don't know. I feel like, you know. People do it like there's usually only one big upset on Oscar night, right? I don't think saying like Oliver won this picture when it had 12 nominations is not like, you know. Uh, but apparently, like the um the uh what do you Pricewaterhouse Coopers, which is like their consulting firm that keeps it all secure, like was very like, this is not, don't worry, this didn't happen. And like they put out an article disproving it in 2004, which Whoa. is like, okay. Yeah, they're like, don't worry, this didn't happen. Some people could finally night. sleep. Um, and then I, my last little fact here, which I think is actually interesting, this is one of those rare Oscars where we have a couple honorary awards because there weren't categories yet. And that, mean, not like humanitarian awards or like Lifetime Achievement Award. It was um, Anna White won Outstanding Choreography for Oliver, which I think is interesting. That it is, you know. And then the other one, which makes more sense, is John Chambers won Outstanding Makeup Achievement for Planet of the Apes, which, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I actually did watch that on YouTube for some reason. Oh, the honorary? Um, and there was an actual chimp that came with him. That's cute. <laughs> well, uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, all right. What's your historic context on Star? You know, this is a, this is a pointless movie about I mean, a real life person, but like, why, why are we telling her life story? I don't know. And so I didn't bother putting in too much work uh, into digging into her life and legacy. What I will talk about is just kind of the state of musical or of uh, movie musicals at this time. We've of course talked about several over the course of this podcast, because they've always been since the introduction of sound, always been a, uh, a popular genre. However, the fifties and sixties were pretty much the height the 50s you had uh a lot of mgm musicals american in paris uh mimi in st louis 
Um, and then in the 60s, you started getting these big budget uh, adaptations of Broadway musicals. Most relevant to today would be The Sound of Music, but you also got like West Side Story and as we have already discussed, Oliver. This would kind of be the end, though. There would still be some that would carry over into the 70s. We did an episode about Scrooge, um, which, which is out only a couple of years from now, though, really, if you think about it. It's not, not, not too far from now, but yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, but yeah, it would. So there'd be some stuff that would carry over. Um, of course, the seventies, you would get Jesus Christ Superstar, Greece. Um, so you'd get some, but because of the shift in uh, in subject matter, the shift in directors, and of course the collapse of the studio system and kind of these big budget imperial type productions, you would get less and less of these musicals. And I think you can especially see in today, kind of. Not a degrade in quality, but definitely maybe a uh, a pointlessness. Like, I'm not sure Robert Wise and Julie Andrews really had. This is me getting. Edited. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying there's a pointlessness to the musical genre today, and I was gonna be like, No, what? No, no. <laughs> in today's episode, Netflix is the prom. Has I like word. the prom outside <laughs> okay. of James Corden. Let me clarify. <laughs> Star, the movie we are talking about today, <laughs> seems very pointless. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, I, Sarah, do you agree with uh, Kayla's obsess, uh, assessment of this movie being pointless? I get why they made it. I mean, it was meant to be like, they're back together. Julian Robert <laughs> making a movie. I just. It's not a movie. It's just a clip show. <laughs> it's uh, a clip show, and the songs are bad, and they're racist, and they're just—it's just annoying to watch. It's yeah, it's a—it's a musical review. It's a showcase for Julie and her singing, and it's—it's it's a chore to get through. Whether it's the overlong musical numbers or the um, air quotes plot, <laughs> because it just kind of as things happen. I do want to say though, Caleb, and I think this, and we're kind of we're kind of going into our thoughts on. Um, you mentioned a lot of musicals, but you didn't mention the other one this year, which I feel like has the exact same plot as Star does, except it's and it's also based off someone else, like a real life person. That's Funny Girl, which I feel like it's very obvious when Star and I don't even like Funny Girl. I think Funny Girl is perfectly Barbara is great in it. The movie itself is whatever. Um, but you compare Funny Girl and Star, it is so obvious which one of these is a movie and which one of these is annoying, right? It's just the, the difference in quality is night and day here between these two movies. Yeah, if I had to make my comparison, I'd go back a little bit back in time to 1954 to talk about Star is Born, not because of the movie, but solely because of the Born in the Trunk number, which. I don't know if this will be a hot take. I hate the born in the trunk number that it completely slows down the pacing of the movie. It also has some weird, like slightly racist bits to it. And it just is like an excuse to have this big lavish musical number. See, see, sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to push back, but you watched it at home, right? Because when yeah. I saw it in a theater and I had a 20 minute admission after it did not slog the pace of the movie. It let me go to the bathroom and stuff. Cause I was like, Oh, cool. I got a great, cause it's right before the intermission. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, like you know, <laughs> I'm just 
Just saying, it doesn't well, slog we, the pace of its screen correctly. Well, when we <laughs> when we have our Stars Born episode, we can argue that out. Okay. My point in bringing it up here <laughs> is that it's much for shallow, though. Just so you know, every single every <laughs> single musical number in Star is Box in the Trunk or Born in the Trunk. Every single one is a slog to get through. Doesn't have a point. Is mildly uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> And yet, it's all still better than the actual story of the movie. <laughs> yes, because it's tied together by a nothing plot in a parade of, like, black holes of charisma. I just... Yeah. I know that Julie Andrews can act. I know that she can sing. I don't know what she did in this. <laughs> I don't know what happened to her. She couldn't do either of those things. I mean, I thought, I thought her singing acting was fine i just think the songs were bad you know it's, it's got nothing to do with her really how bad the songs are <laughs> it's, i don't know what those songs kind of like how jason derulo can sing but then he was like yeah Dad. oh well i was gonna say uh <laughs> his andrew lloyd weber is very good but his actual songs are oof <laughs> or like how you know my dream uh my dream surprise song to the taylor swift show would be mccavity right like <laughs> You know what I think I think she did in Chicago. I think you missed it. I gotta I don't know. I was gonna reference a movie that I realized I just watched and it'd be very weird for me to reference the Richard Curtis movie about time right now, other than the fact that I just watched it. But yeah. So this movie is the story of Gertrude Lawrence, who like I mentioned was a real person, looked it up. Did not see a single interesting thing about her life. So, like, don't know why they decided to make a movie about it. I think her. it was just she was British. She was young. She died young, which isn't in the movies for some reason. No, I mean, she was like a pretty, <laughs> she's a pretty famous actress. She originated the role of Anna in The King and I. I would say that's probably her biggest claim to fame. Also, knowing she doesn't get to knowing Noel <laughs> Coward, I guess, is a pretty big deal for her. Well, like, I'm sure she was very talented in real life, but like, Talent doesn't make you mean you have an interesting life. <laughs> anyway, the story is like it jumps between newsreel footage of her to actual scenes of her, like just getting successful and having mild inconveniences, and then long, long musical numbers. I just. I'm so in such shock this came out before Funny Girl. Because it really does just feel like they saw Funny Girl, they're like, let's do that, but British, and remove the comedy. Because it's just... There's really... Like, it's not funny. She's not, like... We're not, like... I don't, like, I know I keep talking about, you know, that movie, Funny Girl. I just think it's funny also, by the way, Star. I have the Wikipedia page open. The poster brags that you can see it for cheap. I think it's really funny for the movie poster to be like, you can go see this for a regular price instead of having to pay at the expense of roadshow prices. Well, that's kind of... I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's kind of surprising because they did re-edit it after it came out. Yeah, Because we it got the, such bad reception. Yeah, we watched, like, the most complete version. Well, because they probably just kept cutting out the numbers. and Because, like, the story, like, really is, like, you get maybe five minutes of story and then there's another ten-minute song or something like that you know and i feel like you can easily cut out a lot of the songs 
like the bad songs and just cuts to the next story scene and you will miss like cause the songs never for like there's maybe one point the song forever's the plot and i think it's like when she sings at a party i know sarah's giving me a funny look right that's like the closest the movie ever gets to a song actually pushing forward story what's weird too is like these are like actual there's i mean there's an original song but like Every other musical number. I have no number, idea what it was. I have absolutely no clue. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Every other musical number is from an actual musical. So presumably people may have known these songs. They were probably dated when it came out. Because this is this takes place like years and years earlier. So I, I don't know. I guess it was a grandma movie. There is one thing I like about the movie. Which I'm sure you guys, I don't feel grief me or not, but you'll be like, okay, yeah, sure. I like the the documentary bookends of it. I think they're interesting and kind of ex- not experimental really for the time, but like something I don't really expect as a piece of formal editing in something like this. Because it's all in this weird framework that um, Gertrude is watching a documentary about her, which reminds her of her time at it. Like, you know, her time when the documentary. And so each segment of the movie is introduced by like a newsreel with Julie Andrews and the characters acting out stuff while there's narration. Um, I think I thought it was interesting. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't executed excitingly, but it was like, okay, well they tried here a little bit, I guess, you know, you guys were like, nah, they don't do it. I mean, I guess it wasn't even a real documentary. (laughs) Well, no, but it was a mockument, which I thought was interesting at the time was that it was a mockument. I guess, but it, this lady doesn't seem important enough to even have that. I mean, we're not British. I feel like if they, if they had played more into the idea of what the documentary, and I think there's a little bit of this here, the documentary isn't giving you the full picture of things. If that had been more explicit, then maybe it would have been interesting. Um, I'll be honest, I just kind of sat there for three hours waiting for something to happen and then it, again it's so funny to me i look it up online that she dies young after this and it's like why why doesn't the movie go there that, that would at least like I mean, give it an ending i don't know a lot of documentaries don't kill off their subject well okay but it also or still not doc- it ends before she gets the king and i it ends before that, too. It ends before her big break. Like, her big... Not big well, break, but, like, her biggest role. They probably couldn't get the rights to that. They don't need to get the rights. <laughs> they could be like... They could be like, Hey, I met a guy named Raja, and then a guy named Hammerstein, and they got a role for you. Okay, okay. I'll go audition for it, but I don't know if I'm quite king for that role. Wing credits roll. <laughs> Listen, Rogers and Hammerstein owed them because they fixed Sound of Music. So they could have given them a little bit of a, a little bit of a push. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's nothing to this movie. There really is nothing here. It, it is very similar to Pepe, which we brought up, uh, or I brought up earlier. Because much like Pepe, random, completely random songs being thrown in there interrupting the flow of the movie but at least there it feels like a variety show with all these stars being trotted out and contafloss is bringing something unique this 
Julie Andrews is sleepwalking through this performance. Not a single of her supporting cast is helping her out here. Uh, there's one actor in this movie that was critically acclaimed by everyone as the best thing ever. He won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. And you know what? It was, it was Nepo casting because it was his godfather that he played. Wow, that would explain. He's the original. I, I, I want to see. I want to see this guy beat at the Golden Globes. I'm very curious. Oh, they're all movies I haven't heard of. He beat Bo Bridges. All I've never heard of any of these. Bo Bridges for Four Love of Ivy, Ossie Davis for The Scalp Hunters, Hugh Griffith for The Fixer, and Martin Sheen, who I was unaware was alive at this time and acting uh, for The Subject Was Roses. It looks like this is his first role, though, like his first major role. Oh, well, you know, Martin Sheen's in Badlands, which is, a, again, I, I talked about that actually in last week's episode, about it, in last time's episode about In Cold Blood, but yeah, that's coming up soon. But still, he beat all those actors. He beat Ozzy Davis. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the best movie Ozzy Davis was in, but well, this, always sad to see this Davis lose an award. This is just proof that the Golden Globes were never credible. Like, everybody is always like, oh, well, they won, they won the Golden Globe, so there's buzz. Like, no, there's not. The Golden Globes don't mean anything. Well, I'm looking at the Golden Globes now, and I'll tell you, you know who won this year at the Golden Globes? Actually, you know what was co- probably controversial? Now I'm looking thinking about it. You know what was probably controversial Cliff Robertson winning? is because he beat the guy who I just looked at who won the Golden Globe. Peter O'Toole, you know, famously never won an Oscar. I feel like that might be why Cliff Robertson winning for Charlie was controversial. It's like, come on, he's right there. Give him something. I, I always think about the Globes where I also think the last time the Globes are never wrote, but the last time like people like gave them the time of day was 2019, really, right? After that, that's when they kind of fell apart because of the COVID year and everyone finally woke up to them being a terrible organization. Um, and I think about how their two winners for best comedy acting, neither of them were in com- granted, one of them was Taryn Edgerton Rocketman, which is a musical. Neither of them were in comedies, and neither of them got nominated for the Oscar, even though they were both really great performances. And the other one was um so it's Taryn Edgerton for Rocket Man and Aquafina for The Farewell. So it's like, what is even the point of this if like performances like this that were pretty well seen and well liked movies don't even get like a push late? Like these are the only thing they win. They don't get nominated anywhere else, really. Like, what, what, what even is the purpose of this, like, as a campaign stuff, you know, for the actors? It's a free dinner. Yeah. No, because you have to be on the <laughs> red think... carpet. You don't get a dinner unless you go there early. Oh, uh, well. You get a lot of booze, though. A lot of great Christian Bale <laughs> gifts have come out of the Golden Globes. That's the one thing we'll, we'll allow the Golden Globes for Christian Bale to show up to. That's the one thing get he gets. Very drunk. <laughs> um... So, there was one part of this movie I liked. Um, And it was, I felt like the last song was, I don't know if my standards had just been lowered or if it was, (laughs) if it's actually decent. But I was like, huh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on board for this. But then, truly the only good part of the movie, that sparkly, like, sequence jumpsuit she wears. That's great. I I want one of those. I want to I want to wear that to next year's pride. 
she was she had a couple iconic looks in here you know I, I the outfits were pretty good you know what outside I think, of the racist stuff yeah <laughs> i think that probably raises a good point i think that movies like this i'm starting to see why they may have made it i think she could probably in some universe be a gay icon maybe i think she she acts a little bit more like her eliza doolittle here which is fun to see um, just because we never got to see her be Eliza Doolittle uh, in on film. film. Yeah. So, although I guess she could still make it, there's still time. But um, the uh, she's pretty retired like, outside of popping up in a minion movie to give a line. But go on. Yeah. I feel like her, she also can't sing. But sorry, go on. Yeah, that's true. Um, I well, neither could. <laughs> Neither could Hepburn, but that well, didn't stop her. Um, yeah, I know. Um, anyway, I feel like her, like her big roles, are too. Oh, what's the right word? They fit too much in the status quo to be, for her to be like the gay icon that like Judy Garland was. Um, but I do think that. If she had maybe had more of those kind of Eliza Doolittle type roles, then she probably could, like you said, probably could have become more of like a more ingrained into kind of queer culture. Well, no, I'm talking about Gertie. I'm not talking about Julie Andrews. Oh, I have no idea. Because Julie Andrews was also in Victor Victoria, which I feel like is pretty queer. Yeah. And she was in The Princess Diaries. I mean, is Princess Diaries queer? I, uh, it should be. Okay, I I have, I have heard about Victor Victoria. Time, so. It's been something I've been meaning to watch for a while. I'm just thinking, like Mary Poppins. Uh, she was in South Pacific, right? Um, I'm opening up her um, letterbox. Sound I'm of sure music. I'll be all full of Despicable Me movies because it's popular. Oh, in the Shrek movies, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess Julie well, Andrews, maybe not. I keep forgetting she narrates Bridgerton now because her most recent credit is the Bridgerton miniseries that just came out. Um, she was in Thoroughly Modern Millie around the time of this. You know, I should definitely sort this by release date. That would make more sense, actually. But she was in Thoroughly Modern Millie around the time of this. Um, of course, she was in Sound of Music. Um, oh, I hate Letterbox TV thing. She did a movie with Omar Sharif in 1974, it looks like, called well, she, The Tamarind Seed. Well, she also uh, didn't sing for a very long time. Omar Sharif plays a Russian in this movie. That's funny. Uh, oh, and then she had a Peter Pan. Uh, oh, she's a cameo in Peter Pan. But yeah, it doesn't look... Yeah, I think you're right. She doesn't appear in another musical, really, till Vic, Is Victor Victoria a musical? Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah, so it, that takes a while, but that's in... um. Uh, no. 82 it looks like so. and then she got her surgery and it messed up her vocal cords and then she didn't sing again until 2004 in the princess diaries 2 where she whispers sings but it's still okay because it's just still iconic can. <laughs> yeah she's really an actress who you know she comes out with all these great musicals initially but the musicals die so it's kind of sad like oh well she could have had more 
But then, of course, again, she also did go to Broadway a lot, so there's a lot of recordings out there of her, too. Do musicals die? I feel like... I want to circle back to this. When did Cabaret come out? I feel like Cabaret is a very... Cabaret is in the 70s. See, like, that's a very, Because all that jazz is 79, and uh, all that jazz... Yeah, Cabaret is 72, all that jazz is 79. Let me just say... There are still oh, is incredible. <laughs> I just wanted to yeah. have that on the record. Incredible film. <laughs> there are still musicals, and there are a lot of good ones. the the qual or the quantity dropped pretty drastically, and like Cabaret and Jesus Christ Superstar and stuff, they're very different. They're very uh, they have a lot more kind of bite to them than like a West Side Story or an Oliver does. Well, I, I'll be real. I haven't seen all that jazz, but I, no, I'm sorry. I haven't seen Cabaret, but I remember when I saw all that jazz, I was like in shock of how much it isn't a musical, if that, or at least what I think of when I think of a movie musical. Yeah, Cabaret so, course, is like, it's a cabaret. So I think a lot of the songs are performed. Yeah, well, all, yeah, because all that jazz is about the creation of a Broadway musical. And if you guys haven't seen all that jazz, that's definitely one of those movies. I think it was a movie I saw last year that I was like, Definitely the best movie I've seen this year, you know? (laughs) I feel like this, we're coming out of an era when this movie came out, where, like, they just made movies as musicals, and it was just, like, something that they did. And now I feel like when a movie is a musical, like that one movie with Ryan Reynolds this past year. Oh, yeah. Which is, like, it's, like, why is this a musical? Like... (laughs) Pacing and Paul one. Well, it's always Pacing and Paul too. Um, I was gonna say one thing I wanted to mention with um movie musicals. Um, I don't remember what I was gonna say, but it's something when you said Pacing and no, okay, actually no. I feel like you got a point there with um how things just were made musicals because it was a popular genre. Because I was thinking when you said that, it reminded me of when the trailer for Renfield came out, which I know Caleb has seen and likes. But I remember like hearing about that movie in production, I'm like, oh cool, a horror comedy with Nicolas Cage as Dracula. That sounds fun, enjoyable. Trailer comes out, it looks like a John Wick ripoff. And I'm like, oh, it's an action movie. Because we can't just have a comedy. It has to be an action, it has to have action scenes in it. It has to have big set pieces in it. Because that's how they sell it now. And I feel like that's something that's going on now where it's like everything is being forced into this, like, um, Actually, weirdly enough, because you mentioned Ryan Reynolds, like the Deadpool format. But I think also like a movie like Bullet Train, which feels like it should just be like more of like a like a Murder on the Orient Express mixed with an action movie type of thing, where it's like who who's gonna go after you on this? But it's just Deadpool on a train, right? And I feel like that's kind of the vibe I get from some of these musicals in the mid '60s and late '60s. That makes sense. Well, I, I will feel say like... the worst parts of Renfield were the action scenes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could tell from the trailer. <laughs> the action that was like, that looks horrible. I feel like in the 30s and 40s, we got these musicals that were like, they look like they were just on a set. Like they could have been on a stage. And I feel like moving into the 60s, you get these musicals that are very like, sort of, I, kind of with Cabaret and all that jazz, moving into the 70s, you have like, very fly on the wall or like Oliver is like this huge scale. Like it's so immersive in the streets of London. And I feel like this movie totally fails because we're just looking at a stage. Like all the songs are just, it just feels like you're just watching a show. It's not a musical. It's just like, it's just 
again, it's a clip show. Well, yeah, I think you also know, I don't know who said it, but this is a grandma movie. This is the movie that, like, my dad, you know, was, what, 1968. My dad would have been... I'm sorry, I was going to do the math. My dad would have been 19 when this movie came out. My mom would have been 9. They would have no reason to see this movie unless their grandparents dragged them to it, right? They'd, like... Absolutely. Maybe, maybe my dad, because my dad was in, you know, California and he was a big moviegoer and he liked sign music. So maybe, maybe he went to see just oh, new Julie Andrews, but I can't imagine him really enjoying it and liking it, you know? He'd probably be like, uh, well, just go to a theater that's still showing fan music, you know? I don't know if you saw that on the wiki page. I did think that was funny where it like opened at a theater that had only been showing sound and music since the release of sound and music and they, so they got to have the world premiere of it. It is. It is absolutely wild because Sound of Music, it's my favorite movie musical. I think it's safe to say it's like if there are like three or four of the greatest of all time movie musicals, it's definitely in there I mean, with like. It's, it's crazy to come off of West Side Story and Sound of Music and do this. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> West Side Story has such great, and I know Strom Robbins, but it has such great dancing. And this is just like, that's a fart too. Where did where did the visuals go? Where did the spectacle go? Where did like the passion go? Is Robert Wise just tired of this? And Robert Wise, you know, like I said before, I think he's very much a journeyman director. I don't think he's an auteur. I don't think you can point out like the different elements that make a good Robert Wise movie. But I like I like most of his movies. I think he's a great director. So like in same with Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews is a legend. She's amazing. She's great. Why, why was this the performance she was giving? <laughs> like, I'm so curious who choreographed this because I, again, I just come back to that thing where it's like, maybe it was something where, you know, he did West Side Story. Huge acclaim, right? The Sound of Music. Again, huge acclaim. Difference is Sound of Music doesn't really have the dance scenes. So maybe he did this to prove off he could do a dance scene about Sean Robbins. I well, wanted to do, like that's that's my guess here. <laughs> I think a major detriment, and I guess you could. So the sound of music, you know, took place twenty years earlier. It takes place in you know thirties, forties, so thirty years earlier. But it's like the sets are like huge, and there's so much energy and movement during the songs. And this is like again, it's like you're watching these musical numbers from the twenties, and they haven't changed at all. There's no there's no innovation here. Like, there's nothing exciting to watch. I can't find any choreography. Oh, there's a dance assistant. That's the only person I can find. Honestly, I think you're right, Sarah. Because, like, Guys and Dolls feels more, like, uh, up-to-date than this does. <laughs> I'm curious what Ivory would think of, um... Maybe you've seen it, Caleb. The Hello, Dolly movie. Because that comes out, I believe, or did that already come out? Uh, is that 67 or is it 6? Oh, no, okay. It comes, because we've recorded, spoiler for the listeners, we've recorded next time's episode already. And so we brought it up next week. Um, but it also has this thing, and it was a critique at the time and still today, where it's directed by Gene Kelly, who, you know, in the time of, like, New Hollywood's arriving on a scene, get Gene Kelly doing a big damn musical where he doesn't know how to really fill the space of a wide screen is like 
it's a big deal. And I, I this was going to say is another thing is like, you know, sound and music knows how to use its frame. Like it's not only the sets, it's the cinematography and the framing that makes everything seem so huge in that movie. Always. And the cinematography here shoots a stage basically wide, maybe pans it a bit back and forth. There's really nothing to it. Well, and I just looked this up too, because I looked up one of one of my favorite movie musicals of all time. Um, the Music Man came out ten years earlier, and talk about filling up a frame. I mean, it's just like there's so much that they put in, and it is again, it takes place in an earlier time period, but it's like there's so much that you can do with a musical that they just didn't even attempt to do. I'm looking at musicals right now from the 70s, just out of curiosity. Is of course the big. Actually, there's a really huge one in 71, which is Fiddler on the Roof. Um. But again, that's pretty close to this. Um, and then Cabaret comes around and shakes up everything. And then Jesus Christ Superstar goes along with that. And then, yeah, it looks pretty dead. We get Phantom of the Paradise. Grease is, I oh, love Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise but, um, is a cult also, movie. It's uh, not a real listen, musical. Uh, we not, can list uh, Nashville as a musical, which I do not, I would not. Yeah. Um, Grease, Grease is at the end of the 70s, right? Yeah, let me I check. know. I haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet. Uh, yeah, and of course, Willy Wonka. Yeah, well, yeah, I skipped Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka was right next to um, uh, Fiddler, same year. I feel um, like once you get into the 80s and the 90s, they just become like animated. And the Wiz. Yeah, I'm yeah. skipping all the animated ones right now because all that jazz comes out the same year as Hair, which is a big deal. Um, yeah, okay, so where, where do we want to like, yeah, and then, oh no, but then also what we will listen to musical is something like Breakin', right? Like the dance mm. movies. Or like Purple like Rain. Footloose. Yeah, yeah. So it's like those become the musicals. And then in 86, you get like Little Shop of Horrors, which bombs, but that's like a musical musical, right? But then, yeah. Also, Wiki lists Beauty and the Beast as a 1987 movie, which, oh, it's an Israeli. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> well, but, and then, of course, you get Chicago, which brings it back. But. I now we think. have the modern movie musical where I gotta say also this is just a side note I'm looking at Wiki's page right and it always specifies if it's animated a TV movie or biographical you know like Bohemian Rhapsody is a musical that's biographical and I feel like even though technically it's true I feel like listing Tick Tick Boom under the same category as Rocket well not Rocket Man but in the same category as Bohemian Rhapsody just because biographical is a little little that's a little too silly to me <laughs> come on well, <laughs> I, think the, I think the real difference is whether the music's diegetic or not um because tick tick boom plays around with that a lot and then this rocket man also though too i don't rocket man is really fun and how it's all it's rarely at a concert in that movie yeah yeah. but star like star doesn't ever blend reality or anything like that which go back to sound of music sound of music also it has songs that are being performed and then songs that are more like subjectively shot and i wonder if that's another thing that's kind of holding this back is he can't get into that spectacle because he has to ground everything in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Also, probably, shit, though. <laughs> really, it's just a bad movie, too. I also yeah. the budget of this versus Sound of Music. And, like, I don't totally trust these numbers, but Sound of Music, it says, had an eight million dollar budget this had a 14 million dollar budget she must have raised her rates what 
Well, what I think is interesting is also is I just looked up Funny Girl and it has the same exact price tag. And again, Funny Girl, like it has its issues, but it doesn't look cheap. And the star is always 100% engaged in it, right? Like it's not like this where it's like, you and Julie's like, what, what are you doing here? Um, you know, if, Ju- if Julie was just like, it's an easy paycheck, fine. <laughs> She deserves it. Well, it's no Aquaman. It's true. Uh, true. I still think it's funny how she did that right before Mary Poppins 2 came out. Like That's kind of a baller move, to turn down a cameo on Mary Poppins 2 and be like, but I will be the squid <laughs> monster in Aquaman. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up one other thing that I thought was interesting, which is that this, because it also goes with our, you know, death of the musical thing, which is this is one of the final losers because this is the last year the category exists at the Writers Guild of America for Best Written Musical. Um, where, of course, it lost to Funny Girl, right? That makes sense. And then the other nominee was Finian's Rainbow, which, have you, have you ever heard of this? Because I was very surprised to see the director. I'll look I, it up. I'll tell I you recognize who. the name. It's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. A couple years prior to oh, The Godfather. Yeah, I think, I think he met Lucas on set for this one. I wouldn't be surprised. It's um, it, it is, well, it's just so always weird to see like a name like that before like something like The Godfather, right? Where you're like that person that made that like I mean, you know. But yeah, they said it existed for 20 years. There were 19 winners because they did not award one in 1966. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it lost. Oh, the, actually, there was only 18 because they didn't award one in 63. Yeah, right. Music Man won, Sarah. Of course it did. West Music Side Story, Music Man, and Mary Poppins. All one in a row. Yeah. So, Sarah, would you say Music Man is the best movie musical? I definitely put it up there. I think Music Man, My Fair Lady, uh, <laughs> West Side Story. I always have a special place in my heart for the fan of the opera even though i it's not great um i don't know and then you get into stuff like beauty and the beast and you know like yeah i was gonna say if we're counting animated stuff then uh, i think the best movie musical is probably something like beauty and the beast or lion king um i will say i don't know if there's been a modern musical like within the last 10 or so years that has really wowed me I mean, Tick, Tick, Boom was good. Well, live, you're keeping it live action, Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think the best I'm... modern one to me, I'm going to say right now, by modern I mean around post-2000 of looking at these, it's live action, is Moulin Rouge. I'll, I'll stand for Baz here. I love Moulin Rouge. A lot of fun movies. I don't know about that one. I also like A Star is Born in Rocket, if they count. The remake, of course, I'm talking about recent stuff. No. Well, when Wicked comes out, it'll just blow all of these. Oh, you know what? Water. I do like I do like In the Heights though. I really did enjoy this. In the Heights, which weirdly is fun, not listed maybe. on Letterboxd under music, but I sorted this by music, not by musical. Um, yeah, I, I am. I of course would throw Jingle Jangle uh, some music at the top of my list. If we're talking about modern though, um. I don't know. It's all weird ones. Like I like the weird modern ones, like Annette. Um, oh, Annette is good. I do like Annette. Um, but uh, I mean, about, probably uh, 
low key the most definitive musical in my life probably is so. high school musical too. Do you know yes. what I was hoping you'd say? Like, Do you know I'm what I was hoping you'd say? What? We can talk about High School Musical too. That's fine. But I was hoping you were like, the most defining musical, the musical that radically changed my life in my life was Cats. I was really hoping that's what that sentence was going. But we can talk about High School Musical. High School Musical 2 is good. High School Musical 2, the correct order is 2, 1, 3. Um, I go 2, 3, 1. Actually, yeah. <laughs> opinions can be Why wrong. Three. This is interesting because, like, I didn't grow up with three. I watched three for the. I first didn't grow time up with these at all. Years ago, Sarah showed oh, all of me in college. Yeah. Okay. I was a camp like, rock kid. I I we didn't have cable when the first one came out, so I watched it at my cousin's, and then we did have cable when High School Musical two came out. So it was like a big event to watch it premiere night. And I think that's part of why the reason I like it so much. Also, it has the best music. Yes, I agree. I agree, except for Stick to the Status Quo is very good. Yes, that's the highlight of the first one. <laughs> I just... But Queer Anthem, <laughs> I don't dance. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We're, we're talking all-time greatest musical. I kind of already said it, too. I said all that jazz earlier. I think all that jazz is like... But that's like a classic. Sorry, I will sorry. say, I, I don't mean to interrupt the high school musical discussion because obviously I could go on and on. If this I counts. I also think the gang's all here. If you guys have seen the gang's all here, that movie is incredible. Sorry. If this it. counts, which I feel like there's some debate, Hamilton is incredible to watch. I mean, Hamilton is a great musical. I don't know if I define it as a great movie musical. I don't know. I think the performances are right. I think the staging is incredible to watch. I think, though, the filmmaking on it is adequate. I think I've seen better pro shots. I could, it... even, like, I could even list the SpongeBob musical as a better pro shot. I think it takes more interesting angles on them and captures the scenery more. Hamilton feels like a historic document to me, and that's what's missing to me in Hamilton. Sorry, I don't mean to completely go after you, but like to me, if we're going to talk about film stage ones, my favorite recent film stage thing is Jesus Christ Superstar with John Lennon. Um, the way that live show completely captures and makes something that's a meld of... I know it's television, it's a TV movie, but it does combine cinema and the live performance in the way Hamilton does not. Because Hamilton also you know, combines multiple performances they shot. Um, I think I, I admire that more than the Hamilton. Even though I love having the Hamilton pro shot, it's something I can always revisit. I'm not going against so, the Hamilton Pro Shot for that. I I haven't seen the Hamilton Pro Shot. Would would it fall, Sarah? Would you put it more into musical, or would you put more into like line with concert films? Because if we're talking concert films with like a narrative element, I think that opens up the gates a lot. I I don't consider it a concert. I mean, there's not. I don't consider it a concert film because it's just the performance. Like if there was like Lin Manuel Miranda saying like we were gonna put this in theaters, but then we put it on Disney Plus, like then that might be different. I just I don't know. I I just think how I I I think how they film it feels definitely more immersive to me than other performances that I've seen. I think using the Steadicam is really cool. Uh, I don't. I think as an audience member, I think that'd be horrible to watch to just have a cameraman <laughs> just on the stage. But I, I don't know. I like it a lot. I think, and I think that it's so unique and interesting because everybody has listened to the music, and I think that the performances that they put on 
in the movie are like so different than what you're expecting when you listen to it. I opened mm. up a letterbox page about great movie musicals, like all the movie musicals basically listed, okay? And I removed the animation from it. I sorted it by my rating and I'm about to list a bunch of great movies. We're moving the ones I haven't seen in a while, so I'm not going to say La La Land because I have it at five stars on Letterboxd because I haven't watched it since 2016 and I do not want to marry myself to that take. Uh, but all that jazz, The Gang's All Here, which is a great film that everyone should watch, The Gang's All Here. I, that's the one I always go to bat for. It's on YouTube. Highly recommend it. It's a Bubsy Berkeley. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert, as I said. Um, Sound of Music. Because uh, see, Letterboxd lists stuff like Marriage Story as a musical, which like, okay, it has one song sequence, which is great. Well, this isn't a letterbox. This is like a list on Letterboxd of musicals. It's not okay. like the sorting by genre. Uh, In the Heights, as I already mentioned, Inside the Lumen Davis, which I definitely feel more of an argument for as a musical than you know, most concert movies. Mary Poppins, of course, Meet Me in St. Louis, Moulin Rouge. We've talked about this on the show before. I think Sarah agrees with me. The Muppet Christmas Carol is a great movie musical. It is. It is. Uh, um, the Both Stars Borns are listed. There's not uh, both. There's multiple stars. Sorry, born. the two I've seen, 1954 <laughs> and the Lady Gaga one. Um, Rocket Man, Sing Street if it counts, Sing in the Rain. Stop making sense of it counts, even though that's a concert film along with American Utopia. Well, if we're talking about Talking Heads, True Stories is a musical. It, I saw it, I got to see it in theaters this year. It was hands down the most fun I've had in a theater in a long time. Uh, and my last two, I'd say, because these are all the 4.5 or hires, um, would be West Side Story, the original, and... This is one of my hottest takes that a lot of people fight with me on the Peter Dinklage film that recently came out, Serrano. You're not, uh, that, that's a good one. I thing to me about that movie was it came out the same time as the West Side Story remake, and I watch it. I'm like, I'm enjoying this way more than how the music is shot. Like the music. Well, also the thing is with West Side Story is like I, I stick by them. I don't want why that exists other than Spielberg like wanting. To, I, and I love Steven Spielberg, and I love the. That's one of my hot takes. Like, it, it was it was okay. I, I don't understand anyone who would put it like it above the papers. That is a subtweet to I the person listening to this that I know disagrees with me on that. I didn't know Cyrano <laughs> was a musical, or if I did, yeah. then I forgot. And I probably the, when I learned that it was a musical the first time, I probably knew that it was already a musical. All the music in it is written by the National. And so all the songs kind of sound the same, but it's okay. So that, well, it's I'm romantic. out <laughs> for that reason. I'm out. Really. <laughs> I didn't know. The National have a cameo in it too, and it becomes super distracting because, like, the entire time I'm listening to these other very good performers sing the songs, I'm like, something is a little off. And then I heard the National, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's because y'all have very, very particular ways of making music. I don't know. I, I think the, I, I, I always call them the Dink. I think the Dink is fantastic. Well, speaking of Cyrano. Blake Jenner, not in Verily We Roll On, <laughs> which is also going to come out in 25 years. The musicals are back. Woo! <laughs> musicals are back, maybe. I mean, hey, you know, the trailer, by the time this episode, the trailer's already out, but tomorrow, the Wonka trailer drops. <laughs> so, okay, how's hi. that? I, has I'm that so excited. A musical? Of course it is. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I, I actually don't, I don't know who's writing the songs for Wonka. 
but yeah it's been like the only thing i've seen of it was like you know there's always leaks set everything the only thing i saw was like you can't see timothy chalamet but you can hear him singing because they're playing the playback so loud on set of him like driving a carriage <laughs> so it's like i heard a little snippet of a song like two years ago where it was like i need to go find some chocolate but it probably was better than that because it was two years ago so i don't even remember the song what if but, it yeah, was that's a musical is it? I really what if it was? Uh, uh, I'm, look, I'm looking up right now because I'm sure the info's <laughs> out there. <laughs> the, the, the team on the it feels like they only write. They like they're the only team that's writing movie musicals right now. Oh no! It is a band. Uh, Neil Hannon, who is the lead singer of the band The Divine Comedy, is writing all the songs. An Irish band. I've never heard of this guy before. So, but yeah, this movie has a really like you know it's Paul King. It's the team behind Paddington doing it. Oh so wow! I'm very optimistic about it, even with it also stars Timothy Chalamet. Okay, but I don't know. Did I you see? Not this isn't about Timothy, but did you? I you see um, Jingle Jangle a couple of years ago? Very yeah. underrated Christmas movie Netflix put out. Very fun dance numbers. There's a great number in it that's Forrest Whitaker and Anika Nani Rose, but also Keegan Michael Key is in it as the villain. And he has this fantastic, great dance number. And the fact that he is second build in Wonka, I'm like, even any apprehension about Timothy, I am excited for Keegan Michael Key to have a big role in a movie musical because he was in really a... good. And Schmigamadoon in Chicago. He's also in the prom playing Meryl Streep's boyfriend. Oh, okay. Which I'll be real, I I, I, I get it. Like you know, <laughs> Keegan Michael Key, you want to play Meryl Streep's uh boyfriend? I mean, like. Uh, sure like why why would i say no <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah um and then also of course we have another movie music coming out this year with the color purple so those are the two yeah. big ones coming up and that'll be interesting because we've gotten a lot of kind of reduxes of movie musicals and stuff i mean yeah but, the uh, big one out right now is a we count as little mermaid right yeah, but like this, the original movie wasn't a musical, so it'll be interesting to see kind of that. The uh, this thing, the musical, start. I often heard from to... people that the um, the move, the like the play is better, you know. So I'm very curious about it. Like, okay, sure, you know, I'm, I'm down. I'm seeing what else is on the forthcoming list, Joker two. That's a musical. <laughs> Actually, there is one other one I'm excited for, which is on this list, which is something called The End, which is an 824 musical. But it's the narrative debut of the guy who directed The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence. Sounds, <laughs> and I'm like, sounds okay. scary. It, the premise is a wealthy family lives in an underground bunker. It's basically the plot of Blast from the Past, but like as a serious musical. The cast is Tilda Swinton. George McKay, Moses Ingram, Michael Shannon, and Lenny James. So, I am excited for Spike Lee's musical just because he is such, if it ever happens, he's such a big fan of musicals and he's talked about how they're an influence. And then you watch like the beginning of Do the Right Thing and like it is a musical number. So it's like, I was going to say, I did notice weirdly on Wiki that Brooklyn is listed as a musical, which I'm like, that's. So. I've not seen Crooklyn, but it's not a musical. I watched yeah. it recently. It's very good. But yeah, I think you can see those elements throughout a lot of his movies. And so I, I will be very excited uh, if that ever comes to fruition. 
We just need more movie musicals and we need less of them going to Netflix because to me, my whole attitude of movie musicals is they are the genre that I need to see in a theater because I want the, the music to like boom around me. Like, I remember I watched Spirited at Home and I was just kind of like, what's the point of this? Whereas I watched La La Crocodile in theaters, I was like, this is incredible. Javier Bardem, give him an Oscar for that role. That's not, I mean, that was the only, I mean, I... But look, the first five minutes of that movie... Sure, but incredible. then it's like done. <laughs> <laughs> then you could turn it I, off. I don't know. I, I, I think I've dropped this thing before about that movie, but I think Constance Moon and Scoot McNary are also having fun, just not as much fun. So. Oh. Yeehaw. Yeah. All right. I think we I think we can talk about what this was nominated for. I think we can wrap this up. Uh, best supporting actor, best art direction, best cinematography, best costume design, best score of a musical picture. Best song, best sound. Uh, I gotta go costume design, even with the racism. Sorry, it's the only only thing here that stood out positively in any form, even if it also stood out negatively at points. Gotta be costume design. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna do something crazy, and I'm gonna give it best song. Just because I feel like, as a society... We didn't know what was going to happen to Julie Andrews. <laughs> so, you know, we can award her for singing. It was a song at the very beginning. The song called Star, because that's the name of the movie. Um, if we can just give her that accolade, then maybe she, maybe things would have been right. different. <laughs> maybe <laughs> while she sang she it. She also didn't even, I don't know if you saw it. She didn't even perform it at the Oscars. I know, but that's a huge star did. did. Yeah, it was... Um, uh... Frank Sinatra. I don't know. I feel like this is maybe this is a hot take. In 1969, Frank Sinatra, Aretha Franklin, because Aretha Franklin said sang "Funny Girl." I think Aretha Franklin was a bigger deal. Frank Sinatra is almost in uh, Die Hard. They still should have uh, had um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang one. Hi. Oh, everywhere we go is Chitty Chitty Bang. We'll sing. Hang, hang, I haven't seen that movie since I was like five, and I remember the song. So, Caleb, what, what, what do you have it with? I, I've already said it. The only good thing about this movie is that sparkly jumpsuit. I love it so much. Okay. I want to own it. Costumes. Right. Great. Awesome. Uh, and then we have to add an um. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on. I just got to say, you know how wiki, when you scroll over it, it shows you the recent winner. I just looked at original and I couldn't remember who won. I just looked at this. I was like, is that Tilda Swinton? <laughs> it's not. It's. Whoever composed All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I think it was a man. It is. It's Volker. Well, but, you know, Tilda Swinton has like six or seven men over the course of her career. So we think yeah, but she like, still looks like a woman. I, I don't know. If you look at this picture, I think you understand the, um, um, the gender ambiguity. Look at the Tilda Swinton the best was my... Page. Tilda Swinton was my first celebrity crush. Uh, you saw Suspiria and you're like, oh, yeah. So much Sorry. to see. No, but, no, but it, the White Witch definitely says a lot about uh, what I was attracted to as a kid. Why was Katie Kahn at the at the president's? Sorry. Sorry. I just went to the supporting actor page. And it's Katie Kahn standing behind the presidential pulpit in the Oval Office. Because <laughs> he keeps going places. <laughs> what I, happened? Uh... They keep inviting him. <laughs> I've always stood by. That Leonardo DiCaprio 
won his Oscar for his worst performance. And Julie Andrews is going to join that club. <laughs> I'm going to give her the nom because, I mean, why not? I mean, you're not having her win. You're well, and she wasn't, she wasn't nominated for Princess Diaries or Princess Diaries 2. So if you want to give her a makeup award. I've seen the second one. <laughs> and Sarah, well, what about you? What are you, you going to nominate? You know what? I will give it best editing because they, they tricked me at the beginning. When it was a newsreel and I said, wait a second, why is the aspect ratio so small? And then it became big again. And I said, hey, that's a framing device. That counts as editing. I will go with Caleb <laughs> and just give it to Julie. I'm, so, I'm shocked. I'm like, shocked. <laughs> even if she's bad in this, it's like, well, I got to listen to her sing sometime. <laughs> well. And she is the best of the bad performances here. Well, she's the only one who's memorable because it's Julie Andrews. <laughs> like, you know, it's a, that's really the only reason she's memorable. It's like, oh, cool. Julie Andrews just showed up. What if she died tomorrow? Dun, dun, dun. On you the day of the needed? Wonka trailer release? <laughs> <laughs> They're connected. Needed... <laughs> Gertrude needed a friend. In this movie, like a character who is a friend, because every character is either a business acquaintance or a romantic acquaintance. And like, so she just has wait, wait no one to talk to. In she this had movie. a friend throughout the entire movie. No, but the pianist also serves as her, as a business partner. She needed someone completely separate from everything else. To the daughter. The daughter didn't like her. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We, we should wrap it up. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm just, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I can't. Um, guess I don't know what we're doing next time, even though you already know. Well, you spoiled it for people. We could have been seamless. Um, yeah, I didn't spoil it for people. I, I, we didn't, I didn't say what we talked about next week. Well, now you're going hey. to. Danny, what are we watching next week? I hope it's great and that I love it. Wow. Let me tell you, it's a movie that looks like Letterbox has just changed the the poster for to a much worse poster that misspells one of the characters' names. So we really should try to change it back. <laughs> but uh, drum roll, please. All right, it's Paul Mazursky's Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Looks like Sarah right now is looking at the letterbox page to see how they messed this one up. How do they do? Why would they do that? We definitely need which, to go to CMDB and switch it back. It looks really which, bad. Which name did they mess up? They added an E to Carol. Okay, okay, that makes sense. It looks like they did it because they wanted it to like be the same amount of characters so that they would be like even. But they could have put the. Like, if you go to CMDB, they have a different American poster, which still isn't the good poster they used to have on here. But it's better than the one they just had because it has their name spelled right. But they could just mess with the spacing around the ampersand because the spacing around the ampersands isn't consistent across the title. I'm just disturbed at how bad this poster looks compared to the other one they had. I like the other poster a lot. I feel like that other poster is like the most iconic poster. I feel like it's the most iconic part of the movie. Is it flows for our thoughts, I guess. Well, not really. Us saying a movie is iconic or not doesn't mean what we thought about it. So, but yeah. For example, Star is not iconic, yet we all love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. All right. I'm 
Anyways, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blake. It's, you can listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, A Pixar Journey, where we are currently finishing up a run. That's crazy. Of, of course, Cars 2. And then Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol with Danny's parents. And then John Carter. <laughs> nice little run there. Three movies in a row. And also, I think someone on this podcast will be on there pretty soon. I'm Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. And there you can find my litany of other podcasts Hot Trash Unlimited, All New 52, which I do with our editor Joe. Thanks, Joe. And Star Wars Therapy. I did it out of order. I'm sorry. Thanks, Joe. Um, <laughs> you have a question for Joe? Uh, yeah. What's your favorite movie musical and why is it Star? The Greatest Showman. You can find me on Letterboxd. I changed my name. It's not my name anymore. It's SGK. Definitely not because Whoa. my definitely not because my coworker made a letterbox, and I didn't want to Wait. be found. <laughs> oh my gosh! I didn't realize you changed this. I did. So now I'm I'm SGK ESSGEKY twenty nine. We gotta we gotta look at what what year did you do? Sorry, I'm checking this right now. What year did you do the um? What 2018? Let's go to the 2018 year in review to see if they, if they adjust that retroactively oh. to your name. I'm curious. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna look it up. Keep Interesting. Talking. You can find me on Instagram and Threads uh, at sgk29 essgeky29, uh, and you can find us the Snuff Club on Facebook, the Snuff Club, Instagram, Snuff Club Podcast, and Twitter, Snuff Club Pod. Oh, it does change it, by the way, just so you know. I you figured it probably would. Uh, that's good. Well, that's, that's good. That's nice. Well, I'm not ashamed of that review. It's gorgeous. Well, no, but it's also like if it linked and it didn't link to you. And, uh, oh, that's true. Um, but yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, you guys can show up next time for Bob and mm-hmm. Carol, Noe, and Ted, and Alice. Alan does that. Bye. Bye.